baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. Second hour of Mark Reardon's show, St. Louis is home for conservative talk. We are dangerously close to the weekend, ladies and gentlemen, which has uh, come up upon us very quickly because, if I'm not mistaken, this has been a four-day work week for those of us here on this radio show, right? <laughs> yes, that yes. is true. I'm not happy about that. I mean, I, I like doing the whole week and everything. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> what? Hello? Uh, no, what was I going to say, though? Now I lost my train. You know, my no ideas idea. only last no, however long the week lasts. Yeah, it's, same here, Fred. I'm out of ideas by Friday. I the point nothing. I was going to make, I remembered, it's the roundtable tomorrow. So we have Jane oh, yeah. here. John Gaskin is going to be on the panel. John used to be on the panel years ago. I kind of reconnected with him. Um, he's a lobbyist in Jeff City. Good guy. He's on the other side of politics, but we'll, uh, we'll set him straight tomorrow. Gene Evans will be here helping me do that. Our friend Mac Bradley will talk about NASA's space plans. Mac's always great resource on that particular topic here um, in the five o'clock hour tomorrow. We'll also have Paul Hall and entertainment and Mr. Cusimano as we head into the weekend as well. I had to check with, um, I think Zig was on the show from LA a couple of nights ago and I had to alert him to this story earlier today. I was shocked by the way, because I think now I cannot be sure, but I think there's been a coup at the LA times because I subscribe, I actually like the LA times it, it, as much as I can like any mainstream publication because um, they seem to have a pretty decent balance of stories that are interesting to me. I always go into the Washington Post, the New York Times, the LA Times with a fair amount of suspicion on their political stories. But I ended up going to the LA Times quite a bit years ago, and I had to subscribe because I would meet the paywall. This has been a newspaper in this country that probably if, if I had to well, the New York Times and the Washington Post, but certainly the trifecta would be the LA Times leading the charge on climate alarmism. Oh, my gosh. They're the ones, I think they're the first editorial department years ago that said, look, we are not going to accept any alternative position on climate change. This is settled science, right? And this is what happened today. I couldn't believe it. Again, I think there's a coup. This is the headline in the LA Times. For all their ferocity, California storms were not likely caused by global warming. By the way, this headline is still up. It's actually still up, experts say. Wow. So they couldn't lie to people anymore. They had to actually tell the truth on this one. As California emerges from a two-week bout of deadly atmospheric rivers, a number of climate researchers say the recent storms appear to be typical of the intense periodic rains the state has experienced throughout its history and not the result of global warming. So all the BS reporting you saw from NBC and CNN and CBS and the New York Times and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, a bunch of bunk. That leads us to Al Gore. Oh, my God. So, so I've told you I'm kind of like um, getting up early in the morning, right? Yeah. So I'm up early this morning and... I watched this on my computer. I sent it to Fred, 
And I don't even want to send the text. I didn't know this was Al Gore. The first time that I watched this, I saw the clip. I was half awake. I heard what he said. I said, "This who is this crazy person? This crazy person. <laughs> well, he invented the Internet, Mark. Well, that's a, that's a good point. But this particular crazy person used to be our vice president was almost, if it wasn't for a couple of hanging chads, president. If you could drive a car straight up in the air at interstate highway speeds, you'd get to the top of that blue line in five minutes. And all the greenhouse gas pollution would be below you. That's what's boiling the oceans, melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. My goodness. And then he talked about, did you hear Greta Thunberg was arrested in Germany during a protest? It was a completely set up arrest. I don't think people realize how much this happens. And I'll give you a perfect example. If they and they used to do this when they would protest coal here with Peabody. Right. The, the protesters, they cut deals with the cops. They basically say, here's what's going to happen. OK, we don't want things to get out of control or someone to get hurt. So I'm going to throw myself down in the middle of the road and you're going to arrest me and place me under right, arrest. Right. And the cameras are going to I mean, it might not be quite as formal as that, but that's essentially what happens. It is what happens. It's not essentially what happens. It, it is what happens. So Greta was arrested for uh, her climate activism and Algor had to sort of respond to that. There's another divide, increasingly, between those who are old enough to be in positions of power and the young people of this world. Greta Thunberg was just arrested in Germany. I agree with her uh, efforts to stop that uh, coal mine in Germany. Wow. Anyway, Good he's grief. frightening. He's always been frightening. He is unhinged. He's in Davos. They're talking about, you know, the climate emergency. I wonder how Al got there. Did he paddle his canoe? Yeah, that's a Davos? really good question. You know, yeah. he, he probably could have just yelled from wherever he was. That's it would have been the same thing. So yeah. when I'm listening to that audio, and I think people listening right now will realize it sounded like Al Gore. But when I when I looked at him, he I hadn't seen him in a while. And when I saw Spittle. him just yelling and shouting, yeah. I'm like, who is this crazy guy? And it was Al Gore. So I guess it didn't really surprise me. Let's do this this afternoon. These allegations are deeply concerning. Does the president have any comment? We're not going to comment. It's not clear messaging. No, 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 no. And now, Sue's News. Brought to you by Sue. Uh, yesterday, I went to a wake of a friend of mine's father who passed away at the age of 107. He almost made it to 108. Uh, he's wow. an African-American uh, gentleman, and I have... Known her for a long time. I worked with Deb at Channel 4. This was her father. And this was her father. And she had done a montage. The the service or the wake was in East St. Louis. Mark Cox went to the funeral today. But they had um, a video screen set up. And Deb had done a kind of a retrospective of his life. It was incredible. And she interviewed her own dad when he was 100 years old. And he was a, a World War II vet. He served under Eisenhower. Think about that. Think what he has seen. He was born in uh, 1915, I guess, and lived all the way to that. But he was a, a gentleman. He has seen so much change, and it was incredible. He was one of the oldest veterans in the country, and uh, he passed away. So I That's just amazing. wanted to really say easy. something. And he, yeah, and she did this retrospective on him with these old photos. He was a caterer for a while. He was a... Uh, a 
chauffeur for some big wigs around town. He catered parties where Sidney Poitier was. She had all this stuff in the pictures. It was just incredible to say goodbye to a person you know, who has seen that. Much. I know you weren't because we had talked about this a little bit off the air yesterday. You're never really super excited to go to a wake. Let's be honest. I, I'm not a fan of. I'm certainly not a fan of open caskets and all that. And I'm a Lutheran, so Fred, we know the open caskets. <laughs> oh right? yeah. But in this particular situation, it, it truly is a celebration of mm-hmm. of someone's life, and you yes. do have to think. He basically closed the loop on two pandemics, right? Correct. He was three years old for the Spanish mm-hmm. flu and then survived COVID to live to 108. Uh, uh, unbelievable. He had three daughters. Just a, just an amazing sweet man. And here's what struck me in that video. I feel as though I'm saying, uh, er, uh. He doesn't do any of that. He just... Boom, boom, boom. I served under Eisenhower. I was in the Fifth Army. I did blah, 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 blah. You showed me that video yesterday mm-hmm. before we went over there. Amazing how he would talk about how things have changed over time. And yes. like you said, he's so well-spoken. You could see how he'd be respected by everyone. Fred, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name, but remember our D-Day vet that we yeah. have that passed away a couple of years ago, and there was, oh, it's going to come to me here. We had a veteran locally who was at D-Day at Normandy, and he, he did pass away, I think, two or three years ago. Right. We featured him. I had done one interview with him, and then we replayed that interview, and I thought it was so important for people to hear that perspective. Yeah. You know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss this out to Governor Parson when he joins us, too. You have this poll that came out about 16% of Gen Z's are only proud to be Americans. Most of these kids don't even love the country. People like your friend's father, we need to hear from some of these folks. I think the media needs to focus a little bit more on those people that had been around for that long to give us a little perspective. Exactly. He volunteered after uh, he saw the bombing of Pearl Harbor. I'm I'm telling you, it's just amazing. The the, the stories, I'll see if I can get some clips from her of this stuff. But that was Alvin Abbott who passed away at 107. On this day in history, um, speaking of Eisenhower, in 1955, a presidential news conference was filmed for TV for the very first time, and it was with the permission of President Dwight D. Eisenhower. 1955, that was the first televised presidential news conference. Isn't that crazy? With reporters screaming questions at the end. <laughs> I doubt it. I bet I they all it. had decorum the, back then. It was the 55 version of Peter Ducey. Oh, they were all so polite. You hear the news clips from the 60s and 70s. Now oh, yeah. all these media folks are rude, and I love it because it gives me great audio cuts of the day. That's true. <laughs> and eight years ago, I did not remember this. In 2015, Tiger Woods lost one of his front teeth when a guy accidentally hit him in the face with a camera while trying to get the winner's podium uh, shot. Do you remember this? No. Tiger's then girlfriend. I don't even think I remember that. No. Lindsey Vaughn won the World Cup skiing title. She was there, but I don't remember that. He actually yeah. knocked out a tooth. And it's National Popcorn Day, oh, so yeah. those That's of us great. who love it, we can uh, go in on that later. See Bef- that? You know where does my where does my mind go? You know where my mind goes right away when you say popcorn. Popcorn. Where? Well, couch movies. Well, no, options. where? But what in particular? Uh, no. The High Point Theater. <gasps> See? Oh, I love Come the on, High so you Point. You're so that. right. That's the best popcorn the best in town, hands down. Uh, I want to do this before suddenly it's not January anymore. Okay, somebody went through an old newspaper, and uh, generally for the entire U.S., from articles from 1923 to see what experts were predicting would happen in 2023, right? And uh, some of them have come true. For example, constant airline traffic. America's population topping 300 million people. Alec Baldwin being charged with involuntary <laughs> manslaughter. They did not know they his name one. back then. Being able to talk to somebody in real time through your watch. Okay, but here's... <laughs> that was actually one of the... Yeah, it was one of the predictions. 
Here are the ones that haven't happened. Okay. People will only work a maximum of four hours a day. That was a headline for that one. No more hard work by 2023. that happens here some days. Well, that's a good point. (laughs) No comment? (laughs) They said said electricity would make it possible. What? I don't know. Uh, Number two. This one made me laugh out loud. No ugly people. (laughs) What? I don't yeah. understand. We're, we're not what? getting close to that. We I are even, not getting close what? to that at all. They thought uh, beauty pageants would become obsolete because it would be almost impossible to choose a winner. Oh I have no idea what that. What? Because we have better teeth. What was it going to be? I don't did, know. Did they predict that at the beauty pageants there would be? <laughs> A man with a penis? No, they did not. Into the owner no. of the Miss Universe? In God, fact, I, I'm yeah. so sorry I brought that up. Number three, <laughs> gasoline will be replaced by radio waves. What? So powering your car by blasting radio waves somehow would work? That's interesting. They thought that would be a thing. Uh, number four, flying from Chicago to Germany would only take 18 hours. Well, shoot, they were too conservative. We can do it faster than yeah. that. 18 yeah, hours? Yeah, they was... thought it would take 18 hours to get there. Well, someone wasn't doing good math. No, they, well, they didn't know. Well, but that how how long did it take at that point? Like, well, it's three weeks in the, oh, to fly. Up. I'm not sure they even. I'd have to look that up. Well, when's the first? Like, when was the first flight? When was Lindbergh? Or, well, yeah, yeah the transatlantic. I don't know. Number five, homes won't have kitchens anymore. That one basically said we'd always uh, we'd have ways to make food using quote chemical formulas and wouldn't need to cook. Well, no gas stoves, so they're close on that one, right? (laughs) I just thought that was completely nuts. And did you hear that story of the guy on TikTok who went to McDonald's drive-thru to get a a McMuffin? And he looked into his bag and found out he had $5,000 cash that somebody at the window accidentally gave him. It was the deposit for the day. So instead of keeping it, he turned around and went back and they ended up giving him a $200 reward for being honest, plus free McDonald's for a month. But that's a nice positive story for today. And finally... I can't tell you what I would have recommended. Uh-huh. But, you know, <laughs> I, that was nice. Got no ethics. Thankfully, so. it was not you hey, who found it. Nice job, dude. You could have had five grand, but we're going to give you 200 No, he, listen, people could have gotten fired over that. They went into that in the story. So see, he saved someone's job and got some free McDonald's. But he's poor still. No, he... Uh, <laughs> Fred! Help me. He's $200 richer. Oh, Thank you, that's, Abby. That's right, Abby. I'm that 5000 was never his. That yeah. 200 is his, though. <sighs> and both, here's the today's random fact. Both Stand By Me and The Shawshank Redemption are based on short stories by Stephen King from mm-hmm. a collection called Different Seasons. Right. Have you heard of the movie Apt Pupil? I have. Have you, Fred? No, I haven't. Have you, Abby? I had neither. Of course, Mark has. It's based on a story from that collection, too, but obviously not as famous or as good as the other two. What's it about? I have no idea, but that was an an 80s movie, too, wasn't it? Wow, I don't know. I've never heard of it. I know I've seen it, but I have no recollection of it. Huh, I'll look it up. Anyway, that's it for Sue's news. All right, thank you, Sue. There you go. Governor Parson is coming up here on this Thursday afternoon on 97.1 FM Talk. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Thursday afternoon, 97.1 FM Talk. That means Friday is tomorrow. A little simple uh, calendar math there. And we'll have a Reardon Roundtable. Jane Duker, John Gaskin back on the panel. Gene Evans. Also, uh, Paul Hall on Entertainment. Frank Cusimano will talk a little sports. And then Mac Bradley will talk a little bit more about the space program as we get you into the weekend. Coming up a little bit later, one of the big stories today was the uh, the charges in connection with the Rust movie, which were announced by the prosecutor in L.A. And Brad Young, our legal analyst, is going to uh, kind of get into that. We'll also go back to the Supreme Court leak, which apparently we're never going to find the leaker. There was some news on that today as well. We have an audio cut of the day coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Right now, Governor Mike Parson, fresh off his State of the State address yesterday in Jefferson City. Governor, how are you this afternoon? Fine, Mark. You doing okay today? I think we're doing okay. You know, one thing that I'm doing okay about, and I was going to ask you this at the end of the interview, but let's just come out of the gate with it. Did you see Mizzou last night, and have you been to a game this season? You know what? I have to sit right there tonight, last night, and watch that game. I thought after the state of state, I need to go somewhere and try to relax a little bit. But what a game, man. It was great to be there and a great win. You know, sometimes I can be a bad fan. And last night, I just had this gut feeling. And, you know, Coach Gates made it clear that was a really important game coming off two losses. And even when they were down 10 points, this is a little counterintuitive for me because sometimes I'm not positive. I just felt like they were going to come back in that game. And how exciting was that? And it's great to see, you know, the, the one thing that's really awesome Awesome here to see that stadium full again, Governor. You know what? It was a great atmosphere last last night, and, and you know, just watching that game and kind of like you said, you're a sports guy anyhow. But you just never felt like you was out of it. You just ten down, and you felt like, wait a minute, if you stop a couple of turnovers and you get back in the game, we score a few points, we're in this game. And uh, I mean, it was just a great game to watch. It was great for MU and the fans that were there and the students. I mean, it was a big win, especially, you know, you're talking now you beat three top 25 teams. Yeah. Uh, Big day. Well, I've been waiting for this program to kind of have a resurgence, and Dennis Gates has put it back on track. I'm heading down Saturday for the Alabama game. I have not been to a game in a few years, you know, because of the pandemic, so I am excited to see Mizzou Arena full for uh, another great contest on Saturday afternoon. Let's let's talk a little bit about the state of the state and the messaging yesterday because um, that was the speech that you delivered. You talked about a bunch of different priorities, and one of them that came out of the gate, I know we got some headlines here in our local paper, and this is something we've talked about before, is doing something about I-70 and widening it here in the St. Louis area and in Kansas City as well, right, Governor? Right. You, you know, Mark, you know as well as I have, I've been around this place a long time. We've all talked about I-70 trying to do something, and basically all we've done is ever talked about it. That's right. And I do, I do think the way things lined up, you know, with some of the funding we had, 
and some of the large investments we can make one-time expenses. You know, this is probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It truly is. So to really to be able to build those hubs, the, 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 what our proposal was is really build the hubs in, in the St. Charles region, St. Louis, St. Charles, Columbia, Kansas City. Those are your major traffic areas. We can get them done. We believe we can connect the dots, whoever the next governor is, whoever's going to be there to do it. But this is a real opportunity for Missouri, and uh, I, I just don't we, I don't think we want to let that get away from us. Uh, I know it's a lot of money, but it's going to cost a lot of money to do that, whether you do it today or whether you put it off. Well, and we have been putting off, so it's going to, it costs more now than it would have if we would have fixed this 10 years ago. And if you don't do it now, this, the same thing is going to happen. And one of the reasons you want to do it now, and I think this was part of the messaging yesterday, is the state is, is rather flush with cash, so it's a great time to, to address these needs. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. Using this money smart, whether I agree with how it come down or not, which I don't, but <laughs> yeah. the reality of it is we have it. We just got to be wise about this. We got to be smart about it. And doing something for I-70 helps the state. It helps the economy. It helps everyday people. And those are the kind of investments you want to make with that. You know, we had a story even here today, and this kind of ties into some of your messaging on education. The Fox School District thinking about going to four days a week. I didn't realize there were several school districts, even some in this area, that have four days a week because of budget issues. So they have a $13, $14 million shortfall, which in the whole scheme of budget shortfalls, when you think about the feds and, and Missouri, isn't much. But obviously it's a crisis in a local school district. So is some of what you want, some of the spending on schools, I know child care is also a top priority, would it address a situation like Fox or, or not? Yeah, well, first of all, let me just say I am not a big fan of four-day weeks. Yeah, no, and, I and I think if we're using that to say it's a recruitment tool, then we probably need to rethink what we're saying out there because, you know, at the, bo- the bottom line is that we got to make sure kids are getting an education. That was more of a priority of mine, whether that's early childhood, wherever that is. But, look, you got to get a kid in the classrooms, and somebody's got to be accountable for that. Uh, again, I'm not a big fan of four-day weeks if we're just doing it, quote, for budget restraints because we're fully funding the foundation formula. We're fully funding transportation. There should be no shortage of budget. So one of the other things that you talked about is child care because coming out of the pandemic, you still have a lot of families out there across Missouri that have cha- challenges. They can't get to work, perhaps, if they don't have child care. Yeah, there's no doubt that, that is, that's a problem all over the state of Missouri, and I don't care whether you live in urban areas, rural areas. But before the pandemic, there was a 50% of the people in Missouri had a shortage of daycare all across the state when you look at it. 30% of those businesses are now not in businesses so because of the pandemic and after that. So it is a real problem out there for everyday people. And the last thing we want, Mark, I mean, for the economy to go, government can't buy their way out of this. People's got to go back to work. So if we can keep somebody in the workforce making sure they don't have to make a decision between do I need to stay home with my child or do I go to work, we don't want that decision. We want to make sure they got the availabilities. And more importantly, we want to make sure the private sector is involved in this. And it's just not a government-run uh, type operation. This is things we want to partner with the private sector to build daycares. Senator Eigel was on earlier this afternoon. One of the things that he's talking about, I mean, I, I'd love to get rid of the personal property tax personally, but obviously there would be some challenges there. But one of the things that he'd like to do, and this seems like a baby step, which doesn't seem unreasonable, is to hold the line. A lot of people got whacked with used cars being worth a lot more than they used to be, and then the taxes on those cars went up. Is that something you think you can support if it works its way through the legislature? Yeah, I, don't think there's any, I don't think there's any question we got to address issues like that because we know that was a, a, an inflationary short short time problem 
that we know that's not going to stay there. And to allow that to happen, and honestly, there was some tools some of the local levels could have used, but probably some of them didn't do it, where they could have averaged three years out, different things like that. But, yeah, I think that's an issue we got to – I'm open to hearing a, a solution to if they can come up with something on that. But, uh, you know, you got used cars now in the valuation of a new car. And that shouldn't be happening. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people who, and, and this even happened in, in my family. You buy a car, you put a bunch of miles on it, and a year later it's worth more than it was when you bought it, which is, I've never experienced that. Yeah, well, I don't think any of us have. I've been, I've been in that business a long time, worked on them cars, turned wrenches on them, and did a little horse trading in my day. But uh, that's just not the way the normal world works when you buy a car. Hey, I want you to talk a little bit about your uh, your recent appointments, and I know you've had. Have you had five different appointments to statewide offices in the last few years? Yeah, it's just been kind of crazy. That's never happened in our state's history, and I sit down. You know, I have to kind of sit back and look at that sometimes myself. But uh, you know, trying to get the right people in the right positions uh, for the state's important to me. But yeah, picking five in four years' time, I mean, it's just kind of crazy. I, I think you even said that you're, you're hoping that that's your last, right? So that <laughs> I do would be hope good. it's my last, yeah. and I hope somebody stays in the position they're in for a while. <laughs> but how about, I think this is interesting. Um, one of my uh, old journalism friends, Scott Charton, we don't always agree on everything, but he tweeted this out. You know, Vivek Malik, who became the 48th treasurer, who is um, from India, they broadcast that in India on television, that swearing in. It was big news over there. I think that's incredible. Yeah, you, you know what? Vivek's a great guy, uh, well-deserved of that. I mean, you want to talk about a guy that come to the country the way you're supposed to. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a message I hope everybody understands. He walks over here with $300 in his pocket, two suitcases, and he gets to live out the American dream and never asked the government for anything. He just went to work, got an education, and becomes successful and a family man. And he believes in our system. And uh, just to be, just be able to point him, uh, not so much because of the color of his skin, just because who he is as a person and uh, about his faith, about his family, you know, and then to get the coverage we're getting, uh, I, I had no idea how important that was to India or that community, but man, they had this chamber up here full really? uh, of people from all over the state. So I think it's a good opportunity for us for, in a lot of ways. I think Vivek will be a great, uh, great spokesman for us here in the state. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. We're going to try to get him on the air because I think it's an incredible, it's a great American story. And you know, I would juxtapose that. I talked about this governor last week. I know you're busy. I don't know if you heard about this poll. It's rather sad that only 16% of uh, Gen Z, I have a couple of these <laughs> kids, they, they only 16% love this country. Now, I don't know. That seems way low. You know how polling is. But let's say it's only 35 or 40 percent of Gen Z that truly love this country and don't have an appreciate. That's problematic, isn't it? Well, I, I think I, it is definitely problematic. It's something we don't want to hear. And we, we want to make sure people love this country and love the flag, love the Pledge of Allegiance. I mean, understand the importance of being loyal to this country. But I think you have a culture out there right now that you know as well as I do that you see the promotional things that they're doing out there is actually destroying the basic values of this country. And, look, the, I, I get people wanting to do things and have the right to do things, what they want to do, but when they start forcing their beliefs that the vast majority of people don't believe in because, quote, it's their view of political correctness, that's got to stop. It's got to stop in multiple forms. And we just got to say, you know, anymore – Quit calling us what you're calling us because that's not who we are. 
we are Americans, and we're going to stand together and call out the people that needs to be called out. Yeah, well, I try to do that every day here on the radio, uh, and it's it's not <laughs> well, easy, Governor Farson, as you might imagine. Yeah, I, I know it is. Sometimes it is tough. You sit and walk, but you can't let you know you can't let them win. And, and for the same reason you're just talking about, kids in this country, I don't I don't know where that poll come. I I'd have to see a real one, but the vast majority of kids I see. Mark, when I travel around the state, for the most part, you know, are good kids. They have the basics, you know, of being a good child, a patriotic child. It's the influence that other people have upon them. And I do believe that's, that's a much smaller majority than yeah. they get credit because they get headline news all the time. I agree with but that. I think you're right about the, that. At least I, I mean, can hold vast, Yeah, the vast majority of people that I run across every day in this position are good people. And I want to believe that. And I'm going to continue to believe it. And uh, I'm going to fight for those people every day. Governor Mike Parson, awesome to have you on as usual. I appreciate you carving out the time. I'm glad you got to the Tigers game. M-I-Z, and we will talk soon. Hey, I brought him a win. It's your time on Saturday. I'll do it. Thank you, Governor. All right. See you. Bye. No pressure or anything like that, right? No. Uh, I am happy to do it and uh, be the be the person responsible for that on Saturday after it's a 5 o'clock game Saturday at Mizzou Arena as the tide rolls into town. 440 97.1 FM Talk. couple of big legal stories today. The uh, charges are announced in the Rust movie case. And also, we still don't have a leaker after a big investigation at the Supreme Court. Our legal analyst, Brad Young, joins us next. All right, one of the big stories of the day, the Supreme Court says it still has not identified the person who leaked the uh, draft abortion position, and we got some news on that today. Shannon Bream reported on on Fox. They do give us now a definitive number of employees who could have had access to that draft. 82 people, they um, they say they followed up on all leads. To this point, they, after their investigation, Michael Chertoff coming in and also doing his investigation, they've narrowed it, but they haven't gotten to a name or a person. Now, they say they are continuing to review and process some electronic data that has been collected and a few other inquiries remain pending. So they say as far as those things, they're still sifting a few uh, through a few things. And if they find something there, the investigators will continue. So this is not over yet. But this is the first official word we've had from the court, even acknowledging what kind of investigation they were doing, giving us a little bit more details about what they did internally, then calling somebody in externally. And um, we don't have a name. That's Shannon Bream earlier. And it's stunning to me that we still don't have a name. 97.1 FM Talk legal analyst Brad Young is with us this afternoon with Harris Dow Fisher and Young. Brad, you and I have talked about this for months. It's a question that I've raised every couple of months or so. Hey, are we ever going to find the leaker? It is shocking to me that of 82 people that they've narrowed down, they cannot find the leaker here. Mark, this is investigatory malpractice. And, and it's plain and simple. It's malpractice. And here's why. Chief Justice John Roberts assigned the investigation to Gail Curley. Now, she's a former U.S. Army attorney and a Supreme Court marshal to lead the investigation, but she doesn't have any investigatory powers or powers like the FBI. Right, right. If the FBI were brought in and you lie to an FBI agent, you go to jail. If you bring in the FBI and they issue subpoenas, You either produce the records or you go to jail. None of that was done. And I think that wasn't done here because the uh, the FBI or the Justice Department is in the executive branch and the and the uh, judicial branch didn't want to have to rely on a different branch of government to do the investigation. So they kept it in house. In fact, uh, it was reported today, Mark, this is outrageous. 
some of the investigators would go up to law clerks and simply ask them, did you do it? Oh. And if they said no, then they would leave them alone. Well, that's that's insane. You don't you don't base an investigation on the truthfulness of someone who possibly committed a crime. Wow. I, I simply wow. can't believe it. So is is your takeaway at this point, because this is, for me at least, a point of confusion. I know that, like Shannon just reported, look, they're not saying that this is closed, but why not hand it to the FBI? It doesn't seem like this has a logical next step, does it? No, there is no next step unless they just go around and ask them again, did you do it? Uh, the, the only next step here would be to bring in the FBI. Now, I think that the FBI or the uh, Justice Department may have been reluctant to get involved because the FBI can't issue those, they can't uh, invoke powers of subpoena and interrogatories and doing those types of things, uh, threatening a grand jury subpoena, unless there's evidence of a crime. And, the, and one of the questions here is, was the leak actually a crime? And it's been hard to, to pigeonhole this into a crime. I think that you can, uh, knowingly, uh, uh, knowingly accessing government documents for personal use is a crime. And I think one can easily argue that the leaking of that was for personal use. And so it was misuse of government property for a personal benefit. So you could make that argument. That would be more than enough evidence to get the FBI involved. But I just think it's a it's a case of of interagency squabbling that the judicial branch doesn't want to have to go and lean on the executive branch. And that's why this isn't happening. All right. Let me get to the Russ case with Alec Baldwin, because we had charges that were filed in connection with that. In fact, one person has already pled to um, the, the the charges, uh, not necessarily involuntary manslaughter, a little bit different for the uh, assistant director. But explain what happened here today, because Alec Baldwin's facing involuntary manslaughter charges, Brad. Well, he's actually facing two charges, involuntary manslaughter and involuntary manslaughter in the commission of a lawful act, which is how it reads under under Arizona law. Uh, the, the other person, the assistant director, David Halls, has already pled to a lesser charge. So in this instance, it really comes down to Alec Baldwin or Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, and she was also charged today as well. So uh, the way I see this case, Mark, I don't see that Alec Baldwin has any real uh, exposure to being convicted of a crime. And here's why. The main defense in an involuntary manslaughter charge is what's called the supervening cause, meaning that it wasn't the defendant's fault that the person was killed, but it was actually that someone else calls, caused their death. And when that gun is handed to Alec Baldwin, I don't think that he's going to be deemed to have legal responsibility to ensure that gun doesn't fire because a reasonable person wouldn't expect that a prop gun would fire live rounds. That's a so great I, explanation. I, him- I basically mm. said that with less um, legalese yes. earlier yes. today because that, you know, just but, kind of looking at it from any kind of common sense lens, I can see how that would happen, Brad. But, but Brad, uh, then they, why would they charge him, right, if they didn't think they could get something done? There has to be something there. What are your thoughts? Well, let me put it in this context. If someone is in a... If, if you're in a car accident and there's two other cars involved in your accident, you're going to sue both of them and let both of them point their fingers at the other one because one of those two are responsible. That's really what we have here in a criminal sense. Mm. Since since the assistant director, David Halls, has already pled out, it, there, there were only three people involved in this entire incident. Alec Baldwin, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, and David Halls. So since David has already pled, it's got to be one of the two. And this is a prosecutorial uh, tactic to charge both of them and then let the juries figure out who's responsible.
isn't and this is what's confusing to me. I understand the, the charges here and the DA, even though they said they weren't going to hold a news conference, she goes on you know, CNN right away and talks about all this. But isn't the, <laughs> the very question at hand, how did a live round get into yes. that gun? And it seems like we're no closer to that, nor is that even part of the process here. No, uh, but, but it will be, particularly when you get into the charges with Gutierrez-Reed, because she's the armorer. And she's the person that has that responsibility to ensure that the, that the gun is not a hot gun. It's not a hot load, but it's a cold load. And it's not the actor's responsibility. It's not the actor's duty to check that. That's what the armorer does. So, uh, listen, I am no fan of Alec Baldwin in any way. In fact, I, I, the only thing I think he and I could agree on is that today is, is Thursday, but subject to that, the law should be equally applied. Right, right. Well, and I just don't see how he has any criminal well, liability. That, and that's what I said to Sue earlier. I said, look, you, and you almost have to, and this is what I tried to do. I said, take Alec Baldwin and his personality out, out of the whole situation and try to look at it through that lens, and it's exactly what you just said. Well, here's the thing. Hannah has come out and said, I think that I was framed. But here's what I don't get. If she is in charge of it, she should have looked at that gun. I mean, ostensibly, if this happened, it would have happened where she didn't see it. And then the gun was given to her. I mean, right, it exactly. wasn't out of her care. So how yeah, in the, the world? Command, right? Yeah, what yeah. is the chain of command? I guess they have to worry about that in the trial, too, huh, Brad? Well, yeah, exactly. And and the, the problem for Gutierrez-Reed, she's the one that's got the problem here. Because she is going to have to prove with, within a reasonable degree of certainty that when she had the gun in her hand, it was not loaded with a hot round. And that's going to be virtually impossible to prove. So I, I see her the one holding the bag here. Plus, let's be real. This is America. Alec Baldwin can afford to hire better lawyers. And they're going to shift that responsibility under that supervening cause defense to involuntary manslaughter. And at the end of the day, it's going to be Hannah Gutierrez-Reed that's holding the bag. Here's the DA talking about this on, on CNN earlier. Just because it's an accident doesn't mean that it's not criminal. Um, our involuntary manslaughter statute covers unintentional killings, unintentional homicides. The, the rest of our homicide statutes cover intentional, but unintentional means they didn't mean to do it. They didn't have the intent to kill. But it happened anyway, and it happened because of more than mere negligence, because of they they didn't exercise due caution or circumspection. And that's what happened here. Yeah, kind of hard to argue against that, right? Well, it, it, true. But, you know, the classic example, Mark, of involuntary manslaughter is drunk driving. Right, exactly. Someone's intoxicated. Yep. They can't control the vehicle. They kill somebody. But at that point, they are deemed to have knowledge that, that drinking alcohol and then driving a car is reckless. And you know that it's reckless and you did it anyway. But in this instance, what what did Alec Baldwin do that was reckless? He simply handled a, a firearm that he had the reasonable assumption that it was a prop gun. I don't see that he did anything uh, reckless I'm with you. that would warrant these yeah. charges. You guys, I, I agree with you. The only thing that makes me think that uh, there, there would be any kind of leg on which to stand is the fact that apparently you are not supposed to, in any circumstance on a set, aim a gun at someone and actually pull back anything on it. You know what I mean? You're supposed to not do that because it was a rehearsal. So that's True. the only thing that I think that they may be thinking this could go somewhere on. Well, but Boy, under that, that circumstance, you'd have to you'd oof. have to go to the, and they have this, the, the audio of what 
um, Elena Hutchins mm, was saying mm-hmm. during the whole run through of that particular scene because he was, if you remember seeing the video, he was practicing kind of drawing it out multiple times mm-hmm. and for that scene. And they were trying to get a close up of it. Uh, Brad, thank you so much because this whole case is fascinating. It really is. We'll see where it takes us. Brad Young. My pleasure. All right, take care. We're out of time for this hour. Gotta go. Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.